satellite duty and the merchants on the ladder. A Tropical Moon podcast story. Albi Planet, a resident of Tropical Moon who is now becoming well known to us, had spent his evening in the same way he often spent his evenings, sitting in the 24-hour diner, drinking ales and playing music on the diner's jukebox. It was now late into the evening and, as he sat in one of the booths waiting for his ham, egg and chips, he looked out into the blackness. The flashing neon pinks and greens of the jukebox, however, disturbed this view into the dark infinity and reflected their insistent selves into Albie's mind. Albie could sit for hours like this gazing out of the window and trying to ignore the jukebox. He liked the contrast of the barren white lunar desert, swathed as it was in darkness, and the warm welcoming diner, with all its brightly coloured artificial lights and creature comforts. Just as Albi approached the danger of being so lost in his thoughts that he may never come back, his food arrived, along with a piece of paper. A fax. This just arrived for you, waitress Yakupovsky said. They couldn't contact you at home, so assumed you must be here. It's from TMSP. TMSP was the Tropical Moon Space Program. You mean Bert? Albi said rather excitedly. Yes, she replied. Bert. Tropical Moon's space program consisted of one sole employee, Bert. He had actually died several years previously, but owing to the fact that no one else was qualified enough to operate the launching of the rocket, he had no choice but to continue working. This was also the reason Bert had been nicknamed BSC, which stood, rather tastelessly, for Bertie Space Corps. Every resident of Tropical Moon between the ages of four to ninety-four was expected to do satellite duty as part of their citizenship. It basically consisted of spending a week manning Tropical Moon's rather antiquated orbiting satellite. The satellite was about the size of a family saloon car and was shaped a bit like an old bean tin. The only way to reach the satellite was by rope ladder, which the previous resident, on completing his stint, would toss out and begin his descent the idea being that the next person would then ascend and pull the ladder up with them, and so on. The satellite orbited several miles up, so the ladder would take at least a day to climb. However, it had become a bit of a rite of passage for tropical moonians. The old and new occupants of the satellite would meet each other halfway, and have to precariously cross each other's paths. Most people hated satellite duty, but not Albi. Albi absolutely loved it. Albi was sitting in the diner reading the facts and eating his food when he noticed that he was to commence his duty the very next day. Bert's organisational skills weren't great at the best of times, but this was ridiculous. I guess you can't expect too much from a man who's been dead for the last fifty years, though, he reflected. Albi quickly finished his food before ordering a case of his favourite ales, yellow perils, and some sandwiches which he planned to take with him to the satellite. After paying the bill and leaving a big tip, he headed for home in a state of excitement. He knew it was going to be a late night or even early morning of packing. His first job was to make some mixtapes to take with him, as he knew the satellite had a tape deck, and so he sat on the floor of his apartment, pressing record and pause over and over again on his cassette player, creating mixtapes of all his favourite songs. I'll be actually prepared for his satellite duty all year round, even though it was only a once-a-year trip. He had a subscription to a science magazine, which, when delivered, he would store away in a drawer without reading, 
so that when satellite duty came around he'd have plenty of reading matter. It had become something of a tradition. He would learn all about the beautiful ice-blue glaciers on Tropical Moon, or the latest advancements in self-driving hovercar technology. Alby was endlessly fascinated about the world around him. He knew life was a special gift and had no intention of wasting it by living a closeted life. He wanted to learn about everything and go everywhere. He'd look longingly out of his apartment window through his telescope at the exciting, exotic, far-off planets and wonder why other folks seemed to be so content not knowing where they were and why they were here. Some people thought Alby was a foolish dreamer for spending so much time worrying about the big questions of life, but Alby could never understand that if, unlike animals, you have the capacity to ask these questions, then why wouldn't you use it? Many people regarded it as an underrated ability. Maybe that's true, and ignorance really is bliss. Maybe the most intelligent of us do have the most demanding demons torturing us with their constant questions. In a moment of terrible clarity, Alby realized why the whales were always so depressed. Ocean biologists always said how intelligent the whales were, and that they were so depressed because their minds are far too open, rather like his own, and just couldn't be content with a humdrum life. The Tropical Moon Space Agency, that is to say Bert, would always send a hovercar to collect the latest recruit, and, as specified in the facts, it would be picking Albi up at 6am. It was by now already 3am, and he had only just finished packing. He lay down in his bunk for a couple of hours' sleep, and, as he did, he watched the satellite high up in the atmosphere zip over in its wide arc past his window. Albi's stomach lurched with excitement. He would be starting that grueling climb in just a few hours, and, with that happy thought, he switched off the light and closed his eyes. Tropical Moon's spaceport is located at Makir Bay. As Albi arrived, he was just in time to see the rope ladder flop and tumble towards the ground from the black void above. The spaceport was small, just a local station really, but held such happy memories for Albi. He'd been coming here all his life, either for himself or waving away his mother and father. He associated it with a feeling of happiness and excitement, and much like a Pavlovian dog salivating, he got a buzz from just being there. The familiar old porter cabin, with its vending machines, tobacco-stained walls and ancient television chattering away in the corner, released in him some kind of bliss. Bert was always pleased to see Alby, always commenting on how he remembered him as a small boy and how much he'd grown. Alby got the impression that Bert was genuinely concerned about the safety of the residents passing through the spaceport on their way to the satellite. On days of satellite duty changeovers, local merchants were permitted to climb up the lower part of the ladder to sell goods out of a rucksack or hobo's bindle, items that the new recruit may have forgotten to bring, and conversely selling gifts for the returning resident. They would sit on a rung of the ladder, waiting for their unique passing trade. Albi purchased a few items, more out of politeness than anything else. However, he was glad to buy a woolen hat knitted by an elderly merchant called Uncle Aztec, as, in his keenness to stock up on music, he'd forgotten his own, and it always grew colder the higher you climbed up the ladder. Albi cleared the last of the merchants about mid-morning, and was making such good time, he had only just noticed that he could no longer see Tropical Moon below, or the satellite above. He must be at the midway point and he felt much like he was on a ship out at sea and could no longer see land. He held tighter and tighter to the gently swaying ladder and was overcome by an excited shudder caused by the sheer remoteness he found himself in. 
he felt like an intrepid traveler during his rite of passage. The isolation and exile from his comfort zone made him feel more alive and independent than ever before. He decided that this was a perfect place to stop for sandwiches and extracted from his pack the ones he had bought at the diner. That felt like an eternity ago, and as he opened the pack, a small slip of paper fluttered out. It had been left in there by waitress Yakubovsky and read simply, Good luck. Albie just had time to read it before it sank out of view, destined to carry on fluttering and falling for hours until eventually landing on some anonymous point of tropical moon. As Albie sat, suspended in complete darkness, enjoying his sandwiches, he detected a slight swaying in the ladder. Before long, the vibrations of a person climbing downwards could be felt. Carried out of the blackness, on the cold air, he heard cheerful whistling, and, as it grew closer, Albi decided to call out into the night air. Ahoy there! Ahoy there! He bellowed into the frosty darkness, his breath solidifying in the air and drifting slowly away. Immediately, the whistling stopped. Ahoy down, Ahoy below. down below! The voice repeated back to him. As the pair grew closer, the ladder became more and more unstable, jerking to and fro between them until all of a sudden they were upon each other, clinging on for dear life, isolated in the vast abyss of space. Together, they were the only forms of known life for countless miles around. There was no one higher than they were at this point in time, unless it was Mr. Russell, Tropical Moon's resident hippie of course, and nobody more pleased to see each other. What a perfect opportunity to share a beer with a complete stranger, I'll be thought. The smile that stretched across the stranger's face confirmed such an accord, so he pulled out a couple of yellow perils, a beer, as we all know, that was the most coveted sup on Tropical Moon. The stranger turned out to be called George and lived only a few streets from Albi. In fact, they had even attended the same school, and they drank in the same pub, the Solar System's Arms. Following a couple of yellow perils, the conversation had begun to flow too freely to return to their solitary journeys. So, without asking for confirmation, Albi produced another pair of yellow perils. Before long, he had even clipped his small speaker to the ladder and began broadcasting music into the ether around them. After hanging thinly around for a short while, the sound eerily disappeared into the nothingness. It felt like the camping trips Albi went on as a child in Coconut Forest, huddled around the light and warmth of the campfire, surrounded by the night. Like a pair of limpets clinging to the ladder, marooned on the edge of infinity, they relished the second round of ale and each other's company. It was a most singular situation, and, long into the night when they finally parted company, they knew that they had shared a very special evening and would remain friends back on Tropical Moon. As the sound of George's yellow peril-induced hiccups disappeared below him, Albi looked up to see the satellite, his home for the night, now illuminated by the rise of a morning planet far, far into the distance. With every rung of the ladder, the satellite grew larger, until Albi could start to pick out details of its exterior. When, finally, he grew so close that he could see the circular wheel used to unwind the satellite door, Albi was struck with the immense weight of the stunning and complete isolation he was in. So far above any kind of civilization, he felt as if normal rules and constraints no longer applied. The satellite, whose name was High Violet, was illuminated with a vivid white radiating light against the stark black contrast of the void behind it. Albi could now hear its instruments buzzing and whirring. He spun the wheel and with a loud crack the submarine-style door wound open, revealing the airlock. 
Unusually, it was possible for humans to breathe in Tropical Moon's high stratosphere, but the satellite was pressurized for comfort, as, over a long period of time, the effects on the body could be wholly unpleasant. The interior of the satellite did not consist of the sterile laboratory conditions you might expect from a space station, but was, in fact, a very comfortable 19th-century bohemian-style boudoir. It was the kind of luxury and comfort wrought by the workmanship of a bygone era. The floor was carpeted with the same patterned carpet they had in the Dead Flamingo Tavern, and was covered with various odd cushions, none of which matched. At the front of the satellite was a large viewing window from which Albie would gaze at Tropical Moon for hours on end whilst lying on his tummy. As he settled into this temporary home, Albie was just in time to see shards of golden light, like shattered glass, break across the horizon and illuminate his home moon. It suddenly felt like a new day, and he had become aware of the sheer height reflected by the light of the vast planet that illuminated the scene. He was currently orbiting over the remote parts of Coconut Forest. The satellite's thick windows had ice crystals forming over them, and Albie could see his breath solidifying in the air. It felt like an awakening and the previous night with George on the ladder seemed like a bizarre, far-off dream that he couldn't quite reach out and grasp. He felt fuzzy and vulnerable, and so decided to crank up the heating and radio into Bert to report his successful changeover, but mainly to hear a familiar, albeit long-deceased, voice. The radio crackled and spluttered into life, and Bert sounded impossibly distant. Albie felt a shot of anxiety ripple through his body, but as soon as Bert's usual cheery tones eased into amplification, he felt a lot better. I reckons if you're in off the state old Georgie was in when he got down this morning, you'll need a decent kip, Albie, Bert said. Albie could hear the smile in Bert's voice. They both chuckled. Albie had a feeling Bert knew exactly how vulnerable and isolated it could feel up in High Violet, and he realized why Bert found it just so impossible to die. Duty called, and Tropical Moon needed him. And when Tropical Moon was in need, it was quite literally, and even in the face of death itself, impossible to refuse. With that thought, Albi slotted in a cassette of one of his favorite podcasts and drifted off to sleep. The eerie view of Tropical Moon slowly rolling by beneath him. Tropical Moon was created and written by Giles Warren. It was meddled with and narrated by his associate, Mr. Buckstansinger. If you've enjoyed your time on Tropical Moon, please don't forget to rate us and review, as it really does help. And if you would care to take a selfie and tag it with where and how you're listening to Tropical Moon, please do, and feel free to share it with our online community. There, you can see the artwork accompanying each podcast. So, until next time, goodbye, and thank you for listening.